we had another video last week that, uh, that we shared that was uh, directed at our, um, our renovations that we're looking at having. There's a meeting after church this morning. We're going to be looking at new carpet and new seating and some things like that. And that really uh, intros well into what I want to talk about today. There's a complicated relationship, I think, between the church and money. Um, because I think people have the impression that, that part of what churches are just after is, is after your, your checkbook. And we have perfect examples of like this dude here. Did anybody, everybody hear about this this past a couple of weeks ago? This was all the rage. It was super fun. Uh, this guy is a, is, a, is a minister, roughly put, and um, the, these, are, these are his previous three jets right here, and I don't know how often you run into this problem, but I often run into the problem, I just, I just don't have enough jets, like, <laughs> I thought I could do with three but then I saw another one, and I wanted four. And part of the problem here is not so much the jets and not so much the $54 million. It's uh, the nonsense that he puts out. He said, uh, one of the greatest statements the Lord ever told me, he said, Jesse, do you want to come up where I am at? And he said, I need a jet to do it. And I'm, I'm, assuming that, uh, I'm assuming that, well, I, I know that he is not funding this, right? So the, uh, the idea is then that y'all are going to, to give money in so that, that this jet can happen, so they can have this. And the way in which these ministers, and, and you know this very well, this is not anything new to anybody, but this causes a great deal of, uh, of doubt, I think, in people who, who really aren't sure about Christianity. And this is the kind of thing that they see. And they hear people like this say, listen, if you give God $7, God will give you 70 He might even give you 700 because if you give to God, God always outgives you. So let's pass those uh, bags again, just real quick. I have one word for this, and I don't use this, I don't use this word lightly, because um, I take the word very seriously, and I, I anticipate that I am wrong about a lot of things, I anticipate other Christians are wrong about a lot of things, and so I don't like to use this word very often, but in this situation, it applies perfectly. That is utter and complete heresy. It is heresy. And that is a word that means that when you say that to somebody, when you tell somebody something about God that is baldly untrue, and you convince them to give you something on that behalf, it puts you in danger of the fires of hell. It's serious. This picture isn't serious. This made me laugh. But uh, anyway, I'll move on. But at the same time, the Bible talks a good deal about money. And the Bible talks about you giving money to ministry. And the Bible talks about that in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26, where we are today. In fact, what's interesting about this is, is that this is the very last bit of information, or the last bit of Moses' sermon. If you've been tracking with us, um, Deuteronomy 26, page 167, if you want to follow along in the, the, the same place that I am, in the same Bible that I am. Uh, Deuteronomy, if you rem remember with me, is a collection of 3,000-year-old sermons. And there's, there's three sermons. We've already done the first one. And this is the last bit 
of the second one. And next week, we'll move into God First Legacy on Father's Day. And so uh, we're excited about moving forward there. But this is the last thing that, that Moses wanted to tackle. Uh, he actually talks about tithing earlier in the book. He talks about it in chapter 14. I skipped over that because I knew we'd talk about it in chapter 26. But let's look at chapter 14 real quick. I'll give that to you so you don't have to worry about that. Just find Deuteronomy 26. So this is from chapter 14. And it says, Set apart a tithe of all the yield of your seed that is brought yearly from the field in the presence of the Lord your God in that place that he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, your wine, your oil, as well as the firstlings of your herd and flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. All right. And then look at your Bibles in Deuteronomy 26, and we'll begin with verse 1. You'll see the similarity between these two sections. Deuteronomy 26, verse 1. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, remember they've been wandering for 40 years and they're at the gateway. They're about to enter into this promised land, this land that God says over and over again is flowing with pizza and cookie bars, right? It's just full of of abundance and richness, and they are about to partake of that. When you come into that land, that land of abundance, and you take possession of it, and you live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land, that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. So you can see the similarities between these, this text here and the text that you're looking at in your Bible. They, they have a, a similar word, this word tithe, which is just a Hebrew word that means ten. It's, or that's the root of the word is, is to mean ten. And so the first ten percent, you might put it that way, of what comes from your crop, the Israelites would gather together and they would take it to the temple and they would use some of it for sacrifices and worship and some of it would just... Uh, would provide the feast as the people gather together. It's sort of like every Sunday night, we have small church at my house, and everybody brings a little of this and a little of that. Donuts, pizza, cookie bars, all the abundance that comes in, and we share together. Some people bring nothing. I'm looking at you, Scott. Just kidding. Some people bring a lot. I'm just kidding. He brings stuff all the time. Um, but but we, we, you know, some people bring more, some people less, and, and all of that is feasted um, upon by the people. In the 26th chapter here, it's also the 10th, but it's the third year. And every three years, the tithe that was brought in went directly to the priests, to the poor, and to the sojourner. Now, I might have already lost you in your interest. Been a long week and you're like, wow, that was a lot of fruit of the ground, tithe, I don't even know what that word means, and and the first of your harvest and it belongs to the Lord. All this stuff might be mixing together. But remember again our question. We aren't just talking about the practices, but we're talking about why is it so important? Why is it so important to God that at two different places in this sermon, he says to the people, you are to bring a tenth into the house of the Lord. Why is that so important? What is that teaching them? What is that, what is that creating out of them as a people? Well, it creates, I think, at least this first thing, which is that they are to remember God. And by remember God, it isn't just there is a God, but rather to allow that remembering of God to turn into uh, honor and to make that 
tangible. In chapter 14, verse 23, that we just read a second ago, that you may learn to fear the Lord always. That you may learn to fear the Lord always. The point then is that by giving of that tithe, by sacrificing that first part of what they had grown, of what they had labored over, is that they are honoring God tangibly. I think that's one of the things that we really have a difficult time with, is honoring God. How do you, how do you prove that God is first in your life? How does that happen? I mean, I know most of us in this room, many of you, if you're a Christian anyway, you say, yes, God is first in my life. I, I believe that. I know I should live that. How do you prove that? How does that where, where does that manifest itself tangibly? And what's really interesting about this text is that as we read 26 and as we read a bit of, of chapter 14, this is like the smallest, like, it's not like Israel just gave 10%. They gave massive amounts of not money, but, but food and produce. Think about this. They had five major feasts. And at every major feast, they were to bring sacrifices. So you brought uh, grain, you brought wine, you brought an animal, whatever it was that you grew, whatever it was that you produced, you brought a sacrifice at each one of these five major It's like Christmas hits five times a year. And all the children say amen, but mom and dad are like, well, that's getting expensive, Right? They had to leave. Remember, we even talked about this. You had to leave the edges of your field. Or if you had a vineyard, you couldn't go through the vines twice. If you had olive groves, you couldn't go through and and knock all of the olives. You went through once, you collected what you got, and you left the rest for the poor. And if you're a farmer, you know what that means. That means lost money, right? That is stuff you did not harvest. That's more revenue that you have given over to the Lord. They forgave debts. You remember that? Like the, the, we, we talked about this as well. Every seven years, if you loan somebody some money or some seed or some, some, you know, some goats or whatever so that they could kind of get back on their feet, get started again. If they haven't come to the place in seven years where they could pay you back, then, well, you just said, forget about it. Don't worry about it. They had the Sabbath year. So for an entire year, you didn't... You didn't plow the ground. You didn't plant. You didn't fertilize. You just let the ground sit, which means an entire year that you do not achieve revenue. You have enough to sustain you, but you don't achieve more money in the bank. Then you have the year of Jubilee where every 50th year, the 49th and 50th year, this, this, this period between those, those two dates, you forgave all debts, you set all captives free, and all of the land that you accumulated that didn't belong to your house originally went back to the people who it originally belonged to. Which could be insanely costly if you had gathered quite a bit of land, right? I mean, that's a lot of money that you have now just lost. And then worship. Every time you came to worship the Lord, you did not come to the Lord empty-handed. You never came to the temple with nothing to give. You brought something. It might have been something small because times are tough. It might have been something big because times were great. But you brought something every time you wanted to worship God. And then for some of y'all, looking at you, Scott. Every time you made a mistake, every time you deliberately sinned, you had to bring an offering. And this can be quite expensive, couldn't it? Depending on how much on how much you did. I don't know why I'm picking on you today. Your beard looks amazing. I should be like holding you up and 
exalting you. <laughs> uh, so in this, in this year, I don't know, you, we can't calculate that, but if you can just look at that just real quick. We've talked about all of these different things over this past, uh, this past sermon series as we've been reading through Deuteronomy. All of these things are alive. So when we talk about what the people offered to God, I mean, it was a lot. It wasn't just a tithe. It wasn't just a 10%, but it was all of this and more. Now, stop for a second and, and allow that to sink in, all of this to sink in, because some of you guys are thinking, is he asking us for $54 million? Because it seems like that's where we're going. I'm not. I'm not. What I'm trying to, yet, but what, I, <laughs> what I'm trying to get at is, if you notice all of this, man, what does that mean? What is God making of these people? So again, think about it. We're talking about practices here. But what does this tell us about the world? It tells us that God is a God of superabundance. If he thinks that you can come and bring all those offerings at every one of those five major holidays, if he thinks that you can forgive debts without worrying about it, if he thinks you can bring offerings into the temple just to worship and sacrifices in when you've made a mistake or you've sinned, if he thinks you can do all of that, God must have in mind for you an abundance. An abundance. And he must have in mind a people who are living in abundance and are not afraid of abundance or lean times, but a people who's focused is solely on honoring God, which allows these practices to be lived out, a generosity of spirit. This chapter 26 is particularly interesting because, like I said, it didn't form the basis of a feast for the people, but rather all the things that were sacrificed or brought in as that tithe, all of that went to the priests, and it went to the poor, and it went to the alien or the sojourner or the immigrant who was traveling through. It slipped through their fingers and went out into the community without fear. Right? That creates a particular kind of people. It creates a people... As I would put it this way, God is building a people who are completely dependent on him. If you're going to fulfill all of those sacrifices, if you're going to give that tithe, if you're going to give all of this, then you have to, you have to be a people who are walking in the blessings of God. Right? You have to be a people who are walking in the blessings of God. And that God uh, wants you to depend on him and walk in faithfulness, and he reciprocates that faithfulness through through blessings. God is building a people who are not wrapped up in the pursuit of wealth. Every time I say blessings or abundance or the goodness of God, I fear that you have echoing in the back of your head that Jesse Duplantis or your Joel Osteen or whoever, I don't know, whoever is out there that's saying God wants to give you more money than you have. That is not what I'm saying. That is not what the Bible is saying. Blessing could very well be God sees it and will honor it one day. It could, be, it could be any, whatever God calls a blessing, and he calls lots of things blessings. Um, he's creating a people who are not fixated on building a, a Calicut empire. That would be a great empire, I'm sure. Who are not fixated on, on building more. This is not their focus. Their focus is on God. Their focus is on one another. Their focus is, is not inwardly driven which allows them to be incredibly generous and giving. Allows them to be a people that the world can look at and say, look at how they love one another. They loan without expecting repayment. They share without expecting repayment. They aren't afraid of stock markets and all of these different things. 
A people who are dependent on God, who are not wrapped up in wealth. And finally, a people whose compassion is deep. A people who see others in need and want to do something about it. That's what all of these sacrifices, most of these sacrifices functioned as food for the people who had gathered in that area. So that in the presence of God, there is joy and celebration. Joy and celebration. So we notice this continues on. Look at uh, chapter 26 again. In verse 5, this is the statement that's to be made if you, uh, for the, these Israelites who had, who had taken the tenth of all that they had, they, had, um, they, had, they had grown and they put it in the basket and they bring it to the priest and they say to the priest, make your response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, which refers to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph who brings them down to Egypt, if you remember the, the, the book of Genesis. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a great nation, great, mighty, populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly, humiliated us, and laid on us hard labor. And then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice, and he saw our affliction, our toil, our oppression. And the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand with an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place, and he gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, I bring a portion of it back. That's a beautiful story. That's a powerful story. And you can imagine reciting that story before the temple, before the priests every three years. And remembering what God had done for you. And this brings me to think about Jesus. Because I can recite that story and I can feel a connection to it. Because we are the inheritors of Abraham's promise as Paul says. But I was not enslaved in Egypt. You were not enslaved in Egypt. However, uh, we have all experienced the slavery of sin. We have all experienced the slavery of death, the slavery of fear, the slavery of Satan. We are under all of those, and our inheritance is fire and brimstone. That's your inheritance if you're not not saved by Jesus. But what he has done is he has brought us through the waters of death, and he has brought us to the other side, as Paul puts it in Colossians. He has moved us from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his beloved Son. And so we've experienced great salvation. Because of Jesus. And the question that I'm posing to you from this text or this thing that that begins to just echo back and forth in my mind from chapter 26 and chapter 14 and all of those other areas that we talked about God um, calling the people uh, to give to him and to give to the temple and to give to ministry. I think how do I make it tangible? How do I make it tangible that God is first in my life? Because it isn't just that God, that, that God gives this to them so that they might become this kind of people, a people that remember and honor him, but also that the ministry that is happening there in Israel might continue. The Levites were tasked with teaching the Bible. They didn't, they didn't have fields. They didn't cultivate. They didn't work at other jobs. Their task was to teach the Bible. The poor... 
is not just the poor in the sense of they're destitute or something like that, but people who are having a rough time and they need, they need help. You have sojourners that came in. The tabernacle needed fixing now and then, right? There's all sorts of things that, that we can see that need, that need work. And this is that famous text that gets sort of brought into sermons, and I bring it in too, Malachi, in which Malachi the prophet brings an accusation to the people. And he says, that God is asking them, why are you robbing me? And the question always that comes back is, you know, how could you rob God? Like, isn't God, isn't everything God's? And he says, exactly, right? Exactly, that's the point. You've stopped bringing your tithes and offerings. And so he says this terrifying line, you are cursed with a curse. There's a curse lays on you, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And he encouraged them. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. If I put it another way, it would be this. So that there might be ministry that is done. So that things might happen. I have a friend, a dear friend. He was a missionary we supported down in, in Tennessee. His name is Joshua. And he translates the Bible from English into Messiah. He translates other teaching material. He lives in Kenya. He's got a wife. He's got kids. His job is to produce biblical material so people can learn about Jesus. And he is not in Kenya. And he is not in Kenya because he has to be here for six months so that they can raise enough money to go back to Kenya. And if they don't raise enough money in six months, he's not going back to Kenya, which means the word of God is not being preached there. This is the situation of all of the missionaries that we support as a church all of the different things that we do, we give them money so that the ministry of God can go forth. And if the money isn't flowing in, then the ministry doesn't happen. And God connects these things together. It isn't that you could have $54 million and four jets and all of that nonsense. It is so that the word of God can be preached by people who are on the ground so that our kids can go to camp and learn about Jesus. So that the word of God can be preached by Polish Christian mission. So that C, uh, C-M-Y, C-Y-M, I always get those acronyms mixed up. We had him in. He calls me every holiday to say uh, they're so appreciative for our, for our help, Cram. That's what these are all about. The ministry here needs to go forth. And that's what God is building. He is building a people Right, who practice these things. But the point isn't the practice. I think that's where these, these guys on TV um, and in the news, they miss it. It isn't about the practices as much as it's about the kind of people that it creates. And as we begin to understand there's a God who, who has everything, and as we understand that there's a God who wants us to be the kind of people who share everything, we can begin to live in a new kind of way. Now, if you go online and you type in, should Christians tithe, you get a whole smattering of answers. All that I've been talking about here is what God was calling the people to do in ancient Israel. What does that have to do with us today? Because if you read the New Testament, if you read what Jesus said, Jesus never said, bring in the tithe. The New Testament never said, and we're not going to start sacrificing goats. Like, no one needs to bring in any goats next weekend or baskets full of corn. I suppose you could. That would be nice, but you're not required to. It doesn't say that anywhere in the New Testament. The New Testament is really quite silent on the whole matter. And so some say, well, praise the Lord. I'll keep my $54 million and the jet in my backyard. Thank you very much. 
Except for that misses, of course, everything about who Jesus was. Because when did Jesus ever make life easier? He said, you heard it was said you shouldn't commit adultery. And I say to you, don't lust. You heard it was said, you know, don't commit murder. And you shouldn't. But if you're angry, isn't that the same issue of the heart, right? Because the point is that you could be a miserable cuss. And some of you are. And you can keep Deuteronomy 26 and Deuteronomy 14. You could bring in your tithe, stupid tithe, and bring it in and lay it down. And you could walk out. Your heart can be completely hard toward God and you can fulfill the law. Jesus isn't after people. God is not after people who can just live out rote laws. He wants a people whose heart is generous. Which is why Jesus said, loan without expecting repayment. He says, why do you build up treasures on earth where moth eats it away and and thieves break in and steal? Why don't you build up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can destroy, where thieves can break in and steal? And where God can see what you do in secret and he can reward you. And the disciples said, yes, but how much of a percentage of my paycheck is that? And Jesus said, I don't think you were listening to me. There isn't a percentage. In fact, Jesus tells this great story. It's a wonderful story. It's a horrific story. A man works his whole life, and he saves up all of that wealth, and he steps back and he says, man, I've got my precious metals, and I have my 401k, and I've invested well, and I'm all set. I think it's time to retire. And so he builds a house, and it's beautiful, and he buys his boat and his plane, and he's got it all set. And of course, you know the story and how it goes. God comes to them, him that night, and he calls him, oh, you're wise and smart in your investments. I'm sorry, that was the American retelling. Because Jesus says, God says, you're a fool. You're a fool. Because tonight you're going to die. And then all of that work was for nothing. Think about how much that stinks as a story. You worked your whole life. You got it all set up. You retire. That night God strikes you dead. Come on! Like, that's, that's the meanest story I can imagine. Is Jesus' point, well, you shouldn't have built all of that stuff. He said, well, you should have given that 10%. Jesus doesn't give, he doesn't give, us, he doesn't give us any answers, which is why Jesus is so maddeningly, maddeningly awesome. And why creating new laws are never the intention that Jesus is after, because he says this, this is what happens when you are not rich to God. Which begs the question, are you rich to God? Are you rich toward God? Are you rich toward the ministries that God is doing here and abroad? Because that is a way harder question to answer than bring in the tithe. Give 10% of your check. I suppose you're all feeling quite a bit guilty right now, so let's, let's take it easy, and let me share with you my embarrassing story. Yes, oh, praise you. So there was a point in our life where, um, where things were hard for us. 
And uh, we, we were at the place of, we had some government assistance. Uh, I couldn't find a better job. Laura couldn't find a better job. We couldn't get enough hours of the jobs we had. Things were like in the, is it black or red? Which one's bad? I always forget. Red. In the red. What's worse than red? Green, maybe? Whatever's less, whatever's worse than red, that's where. We didn't know where food was coming the next week. And we went to church one Sunday. And the preacher preached a sermon like this. And I got mad. Mad, furious. Uh, fear had taken a real deep hold of my life, as had creed. Where I saw what other people had. And I was wondering, why are we scraped? I have worked. I had put in years of ministry, years of, of you know, into the church. And, and we were just at the place of, like, absolute uh, just desperation. I was ticked. That was preacher up here. When, when my dad wanted to insult preachers, he called them preppy preachers. A preppy preacher. Easy for him to... Your dad, actually. Yeah. So I got mad at your dad <laughs> and God, and I said, I said, uh, fine. Uh, we, we gave uh, here and there, but it wasn't a regular part of our life because food wasn't necessarily a regular part of our life. It was so bad we ate lentils once. <laughs> a vile, dirt-flavored substance lentils are, but cheap. And so I, I, I said to God, fine, we will give 10%, which was a tremendous sacrifice for our family. Um, and I did it with arrogance and anger. I said, fine, I'm, I'm going to give you 10%. I'm going to make sure that we do it every single, every single you know, paycheck, both of, both of what we got. And you had better produce something very Davidic in my defense. Um, and God didn't do anything. But he did take our money. <laughs> uh, and after about a month, I realized, that's really stupid, man. Uh, and you are being incredibly prideful. And um, we had never gone hungry even if there wasn't any money. Somehow things worked out. Um, and I realized how wrong I was. And so I repented. And I said, Lord, we'll, we'll keep giving. And I'm, I, was just, I was just wrong. It was a bad spot, you know. I mean, we do that, right? I mean, and uh, it was after I repented that they maxed me at work my paycheck and the hours came in and things began to click and I don't know I don't know that that's the blessing the blessing I think I learned or received in that is that I am no longer afraid of having nothing I am not afraid of having nothing if you all say this is a terrible sermon don't come back that's alright I'm not afraid that is a far greater blessing than a raise. Far greater blessing than a paycheck is that I have peace. And I think that's one of the things that we miss. 
Because we live in a consumeristic society. We live in a society that says, listen, all you should want all the time is more. And I agree, a hundred thousand percent. You should always want more, but the more you should want is God. It is greater, it is more peace-giving, it is more fulfilling, it is better than anything else, be it paycheck or raises or $54 million jets. And that is what God has for every one of you. And so Paul says in Galatians 6, he says, listen, don't be, don't be deceived. You, you will reap what you sow. If you reap according to the flesh, you receive according to the flesh. If you reap or you sow according to the Spirit, you will reap to the Spirit. And so I encourage all of you, whatever your next step is, whatever your fear is, you need to set that aside. And you need to be the kind of people that God has called because God is a God of abundance. He is a God of, of abundance and he, he shares that abundance through you. Some of you more than others, because some of you need help, and there's no shame in that. And some of you have more to give, and there's no shame in that. But all of it belongs to God. And all of it exists for one purpose, that his name might spread to the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. That is what every dime in your checkbook is for. That's what every breath in your life is for. Spend it wisely. Spend it wisely. Let's stand as we sing.